but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We never do that differently. No. It's becoming a bit repetitive. Well, it's what, 280-something <laughs> episodes now? You've said this before and yet you've taken no steps. Uh, we have been gone for two weeks. It's been two weeks since my last confession. Typically, with the big news that happened in tennis the last couple of days, we would have been back before now, but we had house guests. And honestly, whenever news that big breaks, we need time with it anyway. Yeah. For better or worse, we were criticized for it during the Novak uh, fiasco at Australia for waiting, oh, oh, you know, 48 hours Mm. to comment on it. I tell you, it is better than spouting off and then spouting off again and then reading and listening to other people's words and then coming to another conclusion. Which it I've sure is because uh, this is not CNN, okay? We don't need to be first. Mm-hmm. Nor do we need to be in every conversation. <laughs> Your 30s are about removing yourselves from conversations. You're probably listening and thinking, wow, they're, they're like subtweeting on air somebody all the time. And you're right. But we'll never say who it is. It's not you. Don't worry. <laughs> we have a few weeks of, of results to recap. Right, but we're not going to start with that. Oh, what? I know the agenda says that's first, but we have to we have okay. to deal with the Simona Halep issue first. That was the sound of you turning the page, literally. Mm-hmm. Simona Halep has tested positive for a banned substance. The test happened at the U.S. Open. Initially, we had a timeline on the agenda because this has been building this episode for a couple weeks, where it was just a cute little. Coaches section. This person has a new coach. Wow, Sasha Bain is with Yelena Ostapenko. Okay, Patrick Moratoglu is with that that other guy. Yeah, Holger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dmitry Terzanov is being, you know, a little messy on Twitter. And that was enough until this. Well, Simona was tangentially involved because she was previously with Patrick. A much talked about partnership. By us, to some degree, but definitely by them (laughs) (laughs) on all social media. And then we get word that Patrick's working with somebody else. As Patrick does, he, he likes to make big announcements about things. So he posted, hey, everybody, I'm working with Holger. Simona said it was okay. She gave him, quote, permission to work with another player as she recovers from her injury. Well, he said, she said. Yes. And what we didn't know at the time was that Simona Halep was notified that she tested positive for a banned substance on October 7th. Patrick's announcement about his coaching change was on October 12th. Five days. So, you know, he heard about the positive test. She has been provisionally suspended and he found another job, essentially. It wasn't, you know, the... The story was a cover story. The The lead here is that Simona tested positive for a drug called Roxadustat, which is approved for medical use for treating anemia caused by a kidney failure. 
It has been used by cyclists and distance runners for doping in sport. Simona posted on her socials on Friday that today begins the hardest match of my life, a fight for the truth. She's steadfast in saying that she did not knowingly take this substance. Uh, And there was a piece of this statement that stuck out for a lot of people. In that social media post, she stated that she felt, quote, confused and betrayed. Confused if you feel like you didn't knowingly take anything. That makes sense. The betrayed part? By whom? That's what I'm wondering. Right. Is that a weird translation or... Is she saying that somebody did her wrong? That's what betrayed means. And of course, like the Twitter sleuths are on it, trying to implicate people around her. And it's, you know, it's unwise to do that because we know literally nothing about what happened behind the scenes. We don't know how she tested positive. Some reporting since then, you know, we found out that Simona requested that they test her B sample which is the next step after you feel that you've been unfairly popped, basically. The B sample also tested positive for this drug. The next step is technically for the ITIA to hand down a suspension, and Simona can appeal that to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. We talk about doping suspensions on this show all the time. Jokingly, I say it's one of your favorite segments, favorite recurring segments. And there have been quite a few people over the last few years, but none as big as this since Maria Sharapova in 2016. Mm -hmm. And over the last few days, while trying to wrap my head around it, the bit that's been most intriguing or alarming or noteworthy to me is how people are talking about this story. Because I get the sense that Simona is being cast as an innocent here. She's been given a disproportionate amount of benefit of the doubt than one would expect, or in fact, than we have seen given to other people in the past. And why is that? And how has that developed? I feel like that chorus is getting louder and louder and louder, and there have been some key people involved in making that so. Yes, Of course, it's to be expected that Darren Cahill, somebody who's worked with her for many years and is close with her personally, makes a statement and comes out in support of her. But this was a vociferous defense, right? He said, you, "You could not have a more vociferous defense of somebody." And this is this is like if your family member were going to bat for you. Because Darren is no longer employed by Simona Halep; they no longer work together. Right, right. But they really are like family. And he said there is no chance Simona knowingly or purposely took any substance on the banned list. None. Zero. And, you know, I can understand because I don't really know what to think about the whole thing. I think Simona has been a very professional player for the past, you know, for her whole career that we've known her. She is a fair competitor. She hasn't done anything to invite this sort of suspicion, except test positive for a banned substance. And there have been times where players were able to explain how something entered their system and they were let off. The risk is that if you feel that you didn't take something purposely and you can't explain how it's there, you you can't mount a defense, right? But that's not really what we were talking about. What we were talking about is that pretty much everyone in the tennis world is saying this is impossible. 
We've talked on the show a lot recently, since Simona and Patrick started working together, that the dynamic was weird. That Simona firing her entire team of damn near a decade to just adopt all of the Maratoglu lackeys was strange. That it was something we made fun of, even. It was strange, but it was it's alarming. And it's something you feel like uh, someone of her age and experience wouldn't be doing or shouldn't be doing. She's had a very weird year. And that was a, one of the weirdest things about it is that she left her entire team and adopted the Muratiglu camp as her own. And she might say that... Because it's she, not just having Patrick as your coach. When you say, oh, Patrick Muratiglu is my coach, that's one thing. But then there are so many other facets of a tennis team, and she adopted all of them, Moratoglu. I mean, facets that we don't even really know about, to be honest. Right, right. So where is your support system? And so I don't think, you know, we don't need to go into, like, accusing Patrick's team or Patrick himself of doing anything. But I think it is, it was and is alarming that she went all in, sort of removed that that long-standing support system from around her. And so that's where the whole betrayed thing comes into play. Because now, the unspoken part of what Darren is saying, (laughs) when he says vociferously that Simona would not knowingly take something like this, well, where is she getting it from? Well, I think that that's maybe a leap. I don't feel that he even really implied that somebody did this to her. He's just saying... This It is not possible that I'm, she did this because she has a lot of integrity. I'm right? saying if you are 100% acquitting Simona Halep of knowingly taking something, then you're necessarily throwing somebody, whoever that is, in her team under the bus. Well, She's not getting it from having an Americano at Starbucks. Right, but, you know, people have eaten beef with banned substances in it. Allegedly. <laughs> right, but he was cleared, right? Because they felt his explanation made sense. Pam Shriver, in the same vein of what we've been talking about for a while now, tweeted, Players on all tours at all levels, beware of totally changing your team and letting go of all trusted and familiar colleagues of years and years. It's easy to be manipulated and controlled by people good at controlling and manipulating. Now, we haven't said all that. No, that was... uh... That was bold, and a lot of people in the replies criticized her and said, I can't believe you're accusing him of doing this. And it actually speaks volumes because she never named anyone, and she never actually accused anyone of doing anything. Right, but Patrick Moratoglou is not out here mixing sports drinks. When you go to his academy, (laughs) there are, I'm sure, tens if not hundreds of people who work there who are part of the apparatus. And when you give up the control and the familiarity of who you've been working with for decade upon decade to then go and join this monstrosity of an outfit that's unknown to you, you are by design inviting a lot of unknowns into your camp. Yeah, maybe you're ceding some control and and some autonomy there. Yeah. And she did it knowingly. But I, I want to be careful here because, like, Patrick has never been associated with any doping controversies before. He, of course, is the decade-long coach of Serena Williams. And when I see Serena's husband, Alexis, make another cruel joke 
about the Dare t-shirt related to Simona, I gotta say, like, there are a few things. Like, one, why, like, why are you doing, why, that's just mean. And it's somebody who, at least publicly, Serena has been really friendly with. It's beyond tacky. It's very tacky. And it also invites scrutiny. I'm I'm not here saying that Patrick has anything to do with this. I'm saying that all these people who have tested positive for something in the past, who have smaller teams, who have years-long familiarity with how their team is set up, how their team is run, they have a they have a bigger grasp and understanding of how something could have gone awry. How the hell does Simona know what went wrong here? Right, even accidentally. Like, yeah, if it's like some random dude who is in the Marataglu canteen who left his bottle of something on the counter and somebody accidentally took it and put it somewhere. There's so many random people that you don't know. Right, and Simona said it was a very small quantity and I don't know enough Uh to know, like, you know, if it's possible to accidentally ingest something that would produce that tiny, tiny quantity. But I do want to push on something that you, you've you been getting at is the presumption of innocence, which is great, normally, right? Presumed innocent. But not all players would be treated this way. And in a sense, Simona has earned it. However... What struck me is that we have our favorite players, we feel very close to them, but we have to admit that we know almost nothing about them. That We know what they show us, right? But we don't know the person. We don't know what they do behind closed doors. And this is not an accusation. It's just as fans, we need to understand these athletes are not people who know us and vice versa. I've said many times on this show that I would not be surprised by any doping test. None. Even if it's my faves. That I swear for nobody, no man, no woman. This is just the nature of professional sports. Right. Athletes are always looking for a competitive advantage and sometimes they do it illicitly. I've seen the comparison between what's been afforded Simone and what wasn't afforded Sharapova. And I don't think that that's uh, an accurate or fair comparison because Sharapova was taking that thing for like years upon years. She also made a very bombastic press conference and basically challenged us to challenge her. The ugly carpet, the whole (laughs) shebang. It's it's not the same. And when you're talking about doping in tennis and in women's sports... We're also always talking about what women look like to us. Who looks like a doper? How would these drugs affect how someone plays or how their body looks? Mm -hmm. And certain players are going to have suspicions follow them their entire career because of how they look. And Simone is not one of those people. Serena has been one of those people. Right. If Kaya Kanepi tested positive, a lot of people would say, oh, well, that makes sense. Right. And so Simona here, based on how she looks, I think that factors somewhat into it as well. Yeah, it's a factor. You said earlier that doping stories are really interesting to me. I enjoy them. This isn't one that I enjoy. This doesn't this doesn't really feel good because she's had a very strange year. You know, she's had a marriage and just a kind of weird coaching partnership with Patrick. And it's someone who... A lot of us thought she was close to retirement and then to 
to possibly go out to end your career like this, it really sucks. But again, this is not a family member. This it, is not, well, exactly. Not your mama. Yeah. Not your auntie. <laughs> it is what it is. One thing I will add, and it's not a positive thing for Patrick. We've seen now when partnerships end, when he can no longer milk his pupil for all they're worth. He has far few words to say in their support than when they are on his team. Yeah, that when, was a very uh, slight post. When he's Serena's coach, when he's Simona's coach, it's post and comment a mile a minute, taking every credit anywhere. Now that, you know, <laughs> that's no longer the case. We saw that when Serena retired, we see it now when Simona tests positive for this thing. He is less verbose than he usually is. And why is that? Mm -hmm. What does that say about the man? I think this is what people are probably unfairly targeting him for because there's just a sense of immense distaste toward him for how he operates and moves through this tennis world. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of people, probably including me, take some pleasure in throwing stones, right? Yeah. Like when, who was it? When... Tsitsipas and and Halep lost first round at the U.S. Open. I mean, the story there for us was like, oh, huh, Patrick, <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> by default. Anyway, moving on. Oh. Wishing, wishing her luck. Wow. Let us uh, take a break from some heavy subject matter. There will be more later. Don't worry. But... Let's recap some of the results since we have last spoken. San Diego was just getting underway when we released our last episode. And Iga Sviantek, she's done it again. Eight titles on the year. She swept aside Coco Goff in the quarterfinals again with the loss of three games. This is clearly a matchup problem. Jesse Pegula had slightly better luck in the semifinals, but Iga still won that. And Donna Vekic came out of, literally came out of nowhere to reach the final at this event. She had made a quarter, I believe, the tournament before, but her current surge has come out of nowhere. Yeah. She beat Sakari, Pliskova, Sabalenka, Collins. Two of those players have just qualified for the year in finals. Danielle Collins is having a, a little a mini stretch of good play in this late fall hardcourt season. You wrote down that Iga absolutely doesn't need to be playing San Diego, but here she is. It's true. You have here written, love to see Danielle playing well again, beat two top 10 players and a fascist in San Diego. <laughs> Can you guess who's who? I was, gonna, I was actually asking you to expand on what do you mean by Iga doesn't need to be here. But she is. Oh, I thought it was pretty self-explanatory. She's 72,000 points ahead of everybody else in the race. Qualified for the finals in like February. She doesn't need to be here, especially after she was traveling across continents to get to this tournament, having played the week before. Yes. If you're the WTA, you're probably saying, wow, it's been a minute since we had a world number one who actually wanted to play tour events. Did that satisfy uh, yeah. your question? Yeah. Okay. Danielle has... Yes, I said she'd be two top players and a fascist, an alleged fascist in San Diego. The top 10 uh, players being Garcia and Bedosa and the alleged fascist Trevisan. Yes, and I should uh, I should qualify that 
she is just a supporter of fascists. Possibly not one herself, you know? They they really value that distinction. Mm. I've seen a lot of people saying, man, Danielle doesn't play him a lot. Like, I never see her. Where is she? And it's really important to remember why Danielle Collins doesn't play a lot. She suffers from two chronic conditions. Rheumatoid arthritis and endometriosis. So that does impact the way that she schedules her tennis. I have here written on the agenda as well, is Dominic team back? Because it wasn't long ago that we were sitting here wondering if he could ever play even 50% of how he did before, based on his early returns coming back from injury. It has really been a slow, slow journey back this year. And he's, I mean, he's grinding it out to his credit. Like, he is really putting in the work. He reached the semifinal in Gijon, the semifinal the next week in Antwerp, where he beat Horkacz, who was the number one seed there. Lost to Sebastian Corda in a third set tiebreak. If Dominic Team keeps this up and keeps progressing, him being back near the top of men's tennis would be a much welcomed crinkle to the men's game. Yes. Last week in Transylvania, Blinkova beat Paulini. And in Florence, Felix won his second career title beating J.J. Wolf in the final. John Jeffrey. Jeffrey John. It's Jeffrey John? I believe so. Oh. It's always on the apps, his full name. Like Danielle Rose Collins. That was Felix's second career title, second of the year. If you recall, he had been embarking on a Gael Monfils-like journey in ATP finals. Mm -hmm. And this year he's gone some distance toward rectifying that, winning in Florence. And then this week, winning in Antwerp as well. Back-to-back titles for Felix. And I believe his first title was the first half of back-to-back finals as well earlier in the Mm -hmm. year. It was. Guadalajara this week was an interesting little event, was it not? The players seem to love playing in Mexico. Uh, Guadalajara put on an exciting event. The tequila was flowing. It's it's not so little an event. No, it's It's not. They got a thousand. Yes. It, uh, It just feels like, you know... Mexico and Latin America at large is underserved in the, in the tennis landscape. And these Mexican tournaments continue to hit it out of the park. So I'm glad they got a 1,000 event, but bring back the finals. You see this from Vika every now and then, whereby she could be mired in a streak of horrendous results and then just pops up at some hardcore event and goes on a tear. Mm-hmm. You'll recall she lost to Bedosa last fall at Indian Wells, but beat her uh, in a retirement here. Beating Madison Keys and Coco Goff, she reached the semis. Sloan, who won uh, a title in Guadalajara earlier this year, just is feeling herself in Mexico. Well, her you told me that her husband, Josie, Josie Altador, he's now playing for a Mexican club. I believe so. I didn't really look into it, so... I hope I read that right. I think we're putting together both of our insufficient knowledge on the matter to try and make one whole. Because I saw her on Twitter multiple times making jokes about learning, having to learn Spanish earlier in the summer. So I think that makes sense. Okay, okay. She beat Belinda Bencic. There was that matter of the horrendous call by Maria Chichak. What happened was... A ball that Bencic hit on the baseline was called out. Sloan returned it. Bencic hit it into the net. It was challenged. The ball was in. 
and the point was not replayed, Bencic won the point, which is wild because Sloan hit the ball back, no problem, in the court. And so both players seemed, well, no, actually, let me not give the benefit of the doubt. Sloan seemed confused, and she was like, oh, okay. Belinda knew exactly what happened. To reiterate what happened in case it wasn't entirely clear. Are you saying it wasn't clear? No, I'm just saying maybe some folks would have to go back and rewind a few seconds <laughs> in case they missed it. Belinda hits a forehand that clips the baseline, or maybe even inside the baseline, but it's called out. She challenges it. It's found to be well in. But Sloan had returned that ball to the other side of the court. It did not hit the net. Right. And so the natural progression of things in the situation is that the point should be replayed. Maria Cicic was asleep at the wheel and called point for Bencic, which was game for Bencic. Mm-hmm. And so Sloan starts walking toward the chair and she's she's befuddled. She says, I don't under- are you saying I hit the ball in the net? That's what she says to Maria. Mm-hmm. And then she just kind of let, lets it go. Well, Maria's like, yeah. Which means she just, she recollected what happened totally wrong. Is that gaslighting? <laughs> no, because it was an honest mistake. It was just a bad mistake that everybody makes. Belinda was, uh, you know, more than happy to take the game, I guess. But she lost the match, so it was well-deserved. Uh, Sloan also beat Carolyn Garcia, <laughs> who also qualified for the finals this week. Uh, what? The evidence against I enjoyed, this, I enjoyed the watching her lose. against this young woman just keeps piling up and up and up how on earth do you accept that i want to know when the authorities are going to step in and arrest belinda bencic that's what i want to know this is just the utmost poor sportsmanship it is and what did it get you a straight sets loss that's what it got you well she's now with dimitri tursinov and You know, we'll see what happens there. Mm -hmm. Jesse Pegula is the winner in Guadalajara. It's her first 1,000 title, only the second title of her career, which I feel like I knew but was surprising to read again. Jesse has the most 1,000-level match wins between 2021 and this year, out of anyone on tour. That's including Iga Sviatek. The woman is consistent. So I know people are complaining, like, how is she... Ranked so high, she barely wins titles. This is why. She's made three major quarterfinals this year, and she just wins a lot of matches. Unfortunately for her opponent, Maria Sakkari, it was another disappointment. But the disappointments only happen because she's making it far in the tournaments. You see how that works? (laughs) She's still qualified. Here here we go. She's still qualified for the year-end championships. But is now, I I think, what, one and six in WTA finals in her career and probably like seven and 52 in semifinals. Wow. Which means she's reached a lot of them, but she's there's there's still time to turn it around. There really is. You just, you know, you keep getting yourself in these positions. I hope so. I mean, she's 27 now. Right. That's not that old anymore. It's not that old, but the collective scarring from... The mental scarring. Yes. Yes. It it can have a dispiriting cumulative effect. She had a good week, though. She beat Danielle Collins, who's been on a little bit of a streak. 
she beat who she had to beat, Kudomartova, in order to get in the WTA finals. It was either her or Sakari getting in out of that match. And then she finished her semifinal against Boskova the morning or, or the afternoon of the final. And in the final, she lost to someone ranked higher than her. And that's that. Pagula is now ranked top four in both singles and doubles, as is her now regular doubles partner, Coco Gauff. They are the joint rulers of women's tennis, if you want to do <laughs> <Well>. an average. <laughs> all around play, all event players. Yeah, Coco is number two in women's doubles, number four in singles, and Jesse is number three in both. And so now both will compete in the finals in both events. I think we thought we would have recorded last weekend. So initially there was a segment on the 17 women that were still in contention to qualify for the WTA finals in Houston. Fort Worth. In Texas. Like, it's, it's Texas. <laughs> as William Shatner <laughs> well, no, said. I, I was uh, hoping you'd let them guess. <laughs> On Miss Congenial. Texas. I think that there are a lot of gays listening, so it would have been guessed. Texas. Okay. All right. We're divesting and boycotting from Texas. All right. <laughs> Igas Friantek, who qualified in February. Ons Jabur, number two. Three, Pegula. Four, Coco Goff. Five, much maligned Maria Sakkari. But there she is at number five. Uh, coming out of nowhere in the second half of the season to make the finals, Caroline Garcia, Air France, fly with Carol all the way to to, <laughs> to Texas. Mm-hmm. Sabalenka, and then Dasha Kasatkina, lesbian queen of tennis. <laughs> Arena Sabalenka almost fumbled this bag. She went from being ranked, what, number three this week to almost not making the WTA finals, which shows you how close... Everyone from, what, well, four to eight were. Yeah, not many people won titles of those eight. Nope. But a lot of them went deep into tournaments pretty much every week. Like, these are representative of, truly representative of the best eight players on the WTA Tour this year. Yeah. Maybe you could make the case for a couple, but, you know. Yeah, and there were players who had kind of hot streaks, right? So there was Haddad Maya... There's Krejcikova in there in the conversation, Danielle Collins, Simona Halep, I believe, would have been next in, uh, well, aside from Kudermatova, had she not ended her season and, you know, got suspended. Uh, But winning Toronto. Because typically there's at least one person who had a massive result, like maybe a slam final or winning a slam, and that was the majority of their points to get them into this tournament and didn't really have much the rest of the way. These women accumulated points week after week after week after week after week. Mm-hmm. With, uh, you know, the major exception is Elena Rabakina. She would have won 2,000 points yes. for Wimbledon. It wouldn't have been a conversation. She was close to qualifying even without those points. Mm-hmm. Back to last week's results. We got to talk about Napoli. The oh 250 God. in Naples, do Italy. Do we? <laughs> we do. Uh, so Naples has a clay event, a lower, a challenger clay event. They were given a license for an ATP 250 because, you know, we've seen this across both tours. Because the Asian swing was mostly canceled, there are all these extra licenses going around and tournament sites can bid for them. So Napoli won one. It, uh, it was a complete disaster. I think... I can say that securely. 
you'll never see the like, not in modern tennis. Back in the 70s and 80s, you would have seen shit like this. This agenda had been running for maybe 10 to 12 days, had been ongoing. It's a Google document that we I, we share with each other. And as tennis events unfold, either one of us will add things to the agenda. The only thing you added to this agenda before today was this Napoli event. And you added like 15 <laughs> paragraphs. And <laughs> Not quite. I'm just... Okay, so here's what happened. This is your segment, because I have nothing to say. Yes, they, they rolled out this hard court surface on the existing courts there. And supposedly after some rain, the court surface became completely unplayable. There were these seams, they were visible in photographs, like these lips. There were bumps in the court. It was, it was a mess. It was not good. The players refused to take the court, and the qualifying tournament actually had to move to the suburb of Pozzuoli, which, fun fact, I'm going to give you a fun fact, uh, did you know, Sophia Lauren spent much of her childhood in Pozzuoli, and if you ever go to Naples and you go on a tour, they will tell you that. They're going to tell you that, because she is a goddess in Italy, right? Uh, if, if you're ever interested, Sophia Lauren has a fascinating life. Read about her childhood in in wartime. It was a very, very difficult childhood. Anyway, qualifying moves to Pozzuoli. There's a tennis club there. Uh, What else happened? On Tuesday, you know, they get the tournament up and running finally in Napoli. It's really an absolutely stunning site. And if you've ever been to Naples, you know that the city is... It's chaotic. It's difficult. There is uh, some extreme poverty there's corruption. It's it's a tough place, right, to make it. Uh, but spent, it is incredibly beautiful. We flew out of the Naples airport. Correct? We did, yeah. That was pretty much the only time that we spent in Naples while we were in Italy. And my major takeaway is that Naples, Napoli, has the hottest men in Italy. <laughs> it was just... Astounding. It's it's the strife. Mm. You know, Naples is an ancient city, but it is known for being chaotic. And the tournament reflected that. The The court dries out. They play on Tuesday. Uh, but it was suspended again due to supposed moisture from the sea air. All right. And of course, it was a uh, Mute match that was suspended because there's always something going on with his matches. Nicolas Barrientos, a doubles player, shared on Twitter that the hotel had thrown all of his belongings into the hallway while he was on-site playing. Uh, There was really awful, like, football hooligan behavior during the Baez-Sonego match. That was wild. Baez beat uh, the Italian Sonego in that match. And while all this is going on, over the weekend... Before the tournament really started, Matteo Berrettini says, hey, I've accepted a wild card to Napoli. And I'm like, why? Dude, what? Well, because he's trying to qualify for the finals. Yes. So, I mean, I understand why, the, the actual why. He was number 15 in the race. He's packed his schedule with Napoli, Vienna, and Paris after he lost early the previous week in Florence in a bid to qualify. I'll just say, we have seen players run themselves into the ground trying to qualify, and then they have nothing to give at the finals. But, Matteo, you plan your schedule however you want. I was just surprised that he, you know, even after witnessing all this carnage, he was like, yeah, I'll come, it's fine. 
that appearance fee check must have cleared in advance. Mm -hmm. Well, he lost to F asterisk, 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 (laughs) asterisk in the final. He did. did. Uh, Musetti won Napoli, beating his countryman, Matteo. Matteo's bumped up to 13 in the race. Musetti has had a pretty good second half compared to how terrible yes the first half these was. uh enfant terrible uh runa and musetti are actually the real deal i fear well holger Moso. Mm, mm. i'm still not convinced okay. about lorenzo we have an update about one of the handful of men on the atp tour who have been accused of domestic violence yeah, I mentioned earlier that we were going to return to some heavier subject matter. So this is it. Uh, if you want to skip a story about abuse, then please do so. Uh, Basilashvili has been in court for years at this point. He was accused by his ex-wife of systematically abusing her physically, verbally, and financially. Uh, these are all things that she testified to in court. The judge on this case cleared him of all charges. The judge questioned Nelly Dorakashvili. Basilashvili's ex-wife, why she did not come forward sooner, and even made uh, suggestions about where the bruises on her arm could have come from, aside from being manhandled by this man. The judge apparently is a doctor. These bruises were examined by a medical examiner, by the way. Uh, They weren't fake. And so uh, the prosecutor was really, really angry about what happens, vows that they will appeal, and basically just said the judge was biased. If you wonder why survivors of domestic violence don't go to the police, uh, there's not really a mystery at this point. And what we'll hear from folks in response to us, in response to anybody who wants to talk about this in the future is, well, he was acquitted. End of story. So now we've slandered him, right? But I think it's really fair to criticize those things that the judge asked the accuser in court because why a survivor doesn't come forward sooner or at all, that information is widely available for you if you care to find out. We had mentioned a bunch of coaching changes earlier in the episode. Dmitry Tursunov is now with Belinda Bencic. This after he split with Emma Raducanu, or they split. They're no longer working together. Mm -hmm. However, that happened. Sasha Bayin is coaching Yelena Ostapenko. <laughs> that should be interesting. And we talked about Moratoglu's new charge as yes. well, who went on to win this week. Oh, right. We actually didn't mention that. Uh, in Stockholm, Runa beat Tsitsipas, and now he's 2-0 and in their rivalry. The only thing I want to say about this segment here, because it kind of got derailed by us blabbing about it earlier in the episode is to focus a little bit on Dmitry Tursunov and the things that he says. And he has this reputation of being a straight talker, a straight shooter. And what's becoming increasingly clear to me is that he exhibits some toxic traits, period, point blank. Okay, like I, okay. I don't like a lot of the stuff that he says. Mm. Ivan Lubicic asked Chrissy Everett, Martina Navratilova, Pam Schreiber... Barbara Shett, and Dmitry Tursunov in a tweet. He just tagged everybody. Tagged everybody. How can it be explained that all 12 finalists of the six biggest tournaments of the 2021 season, the Grand Slams, the year-end championships, and the Olympics, not one of them will be ranked top 10 at the end of the 2022 season? How? How do you explain that? And not one to avoid any bait. 
Tursunov offers that it is the ego of these women that is 90% the reason why they are not ranked top 10 in 2022. And all I see when I see that is a completely self-serving mess. Well, I mean, two of his players are among them, right? Annette Contivate and Amaretakanu. Doesn't account for injuries, doesn't account for any of the other myriad things that players go through on a tennis to- on a tennis tour. Yes. Right? I and mean... for all all twelve of them, all twelve of them for it to be ninety percent distilled onto ego, that's crazy. Right. Let's take a moment because uh one of them is retired. One of them who won the Olympics wasn't ranked top 10 even at the time. Amaratakanu was a qualifier, ranked like nothing when she won the US Open. A lot of them have suffered injuries for like more than half the year. There are a lot of reasons, but actually, no, it's just ego. It's the lack of humility. Or is this just like a blanket statement to really say what you really want to say about Raducanu? Yeah. And so then they're... to follow up and and quote... Marvin Hagler. Who is that? A former boxer. Oh, okay. And say, quote, on privilege being an obstacle to success, one boxer, Marvin Hagler, said, if you sleep in silk pajamas, it's tough to wake up at six in the morning and go for a run, you know? That's exactly what it is. So they, they just don't care. They're lazy? They're they're rich, they're spoiled, they're lazy. I guess that's the other 10%. To, do, to go along with the, the 90% ego. Well, that that's part of ego, I think he's saying. I mean, there I'm sure there are some who are lazy, but it felt unnecessarily mean. And he's also an active coach, a, a very successful coach, who people respect quite a lot. And as a player, I would just be like, ugh, kind of get the ick if my coach or my former coach or somebody I'm thinking of hiring spoke like that about players. Like, I wouldn't wouldn't enjoy it. But again, like he, he's a straight shooter. I guess that's there's that's there, his prerogative. Like there he are can few things in life I despise more than people who self brand themselves yes. as straight shooters, <laughs> straight talkers. Call it like it is. Ugh. I mean, he can say what he wants, and he seems to be a really good coach. I just I don't know why you would be cruel like that to players who have been dealing with injuries or players you have actually coached before. It seems like there's an, some axe grinding going on here. And at a certain point, people like to put all the blame at the feet of the tennis players who are changing coaches. Why can't these coaches keep a pupil? They, you know, like, it can't all be the players. Sir, you had Annette Contivate as a pupil in the middle of the year. Okay, fine, she had long COVID. Oh, also... Is that maybe a reason why she's not ranked top 10 right now? Oh. Possibly. There's another one. Um, and then you take on Raducanu, and that doesn't work out. To be fair, there's also the visa issue for Dimitri. And that's inhibited some of his coaching partnerships. Um, right. That is a bit of nuance that you've just added to the conversation <laughs> that he is not affording the players. in Or this. like afford himself that nuance. Yeah, I, there's there's no problem with, like, giving tough love to your players in private. You know, you can tell your players, like, y'all, you are lazy. Yeah, Your I, ego is getting in the way of your training. What it boils down to me is I don't want to hear nothing from any of these coaches. Not one. I don't want to hear nothing from them <laughs> on Twitter, on social media. Like, ever? Ever. 
you can go and give interviews at tournaments. The WTA did this thing right. a few years ago where they made coaches accessible. And we participated. Uh, you know, we in had that. coaches on. That um, was that was illuminating. A controlled environment. <laughs> Not this. Okay. You have posited this question, and I'm I don't know what the answer is. Is it finally time for us to have a conversation about pickleball? Everybody else is. Pickleball uh is tennis seems to be in this fight, this turf war with big pickleball. Uh, if you are the pickle lobby, <laughs> if you are a tennis lover, I apparently you have to despise this sport or this game or whatever it is. I will say, like, it is definitely annoying if you're a player who uses public courts and you find that all these courts have been converted to pickleball courts. That sucks. Totally get it. Um, but like this full throated uh, hatred and campaign against pickleball is just so weird to me. It's just weird. Like, I don't care. As if somehow pickleball is the single greatest existential threat to the survival of tennis. Right. I mean, all of a sudden, it's like tennis has class consciousness, right? We have we have to hate Pagula because she's a billionaire. Uh, just say you don't like her. I mean, we've, we've participated in that. Sure, but like, okay, it's who cares? It's boring. And I guess there's like this left-wing campaign against pickleball, which is also boring to me. But doesn't make sense because pickleball is more utilitarian no i guess the argument is that it's like supported by vc and by like far right groups i I don't know i don't honestly don't know enough to really care that much all Um, i know is that if it were available to me growing up i would have enjoyed playing it i'm pretty sure we played it in gym class it was fun i'm gonna say it's fun what is weird to me and what is a little bit icky because i think there's some there's something more going on here it's like oh this isn't a sport you don't have to be a real athlete to play this. It's like, okay, so there's a lower barrier of entry. More people with different kinds of bodies, with different abilities, God forbid, could play this game. Maybe even people with disabilities could play this game. Is it like the worst thing in the world? So this sort of like macho grandstanding about, oh, they're just worse athletes than tennis players. Okay, who cares? I don't care. Like, <laughs> Why do I care about the comparison between tennis, which is this, really, the symbol of elitism the world over, versus pickleball, which is, a, I guess, supposed to be this existential threat? But why why I have it on the agenda is because it seems like there's been a ratcheting up, a ramping up of news and discourse surrounding the would-be sport in recent times. Noah Rubin Definitely. announced... That he's taking time away from tennis. And then very shortly after, did this fantastical video announcing his arrival as a pickleballer. Sam Query says he's going to try his hand. Kim Clijsters, along with Tom Brady, has bought a team. An expansion team. Did you know that they have those in pickleball? I did not know that. <laughs> LeBron James apparently is a team owner, as is James Blake and Draymond Green. Draymond Green. You may have heard about him in the news recently for something totally different. Shocking to me that he did not get suspended from the Warriors. There, the the National Pickleball, no, Major League Pickleball is a thing, apparently. And their plan is to expand to 16 teams and offer up to $2 million in prize money. That's their expansion plan. 
And all of these famous people are backing it. It's so weird. Sam, I don't know if Sam is good enough to be a professional pickleball player. I don't know if there are like some skills involved that tennis players don't have. I really don't know. I imagine that that height is not an advantage in pickleball. <laughs> there's no volleying, right? I think there's like a seven foot window. And my understanding is back there, from the net. There's no overhanded serving, right? So, like, what is your advantage, dude? The, it's the not your lateral that, movement. Is that their professional hand-eye coordination? They're professional tennis players with elite hand-eye coordination, right? So, I don't know. Like, does pickleball want the sloppy seconds of tennis? Do they want the retired players of tennis? Sam said that Isner, Sock, all these guys, they all play pickleball recreationally. They're like, well, you've just killed your sport because nobody's going to want to watch that. So they're going to ruin another sport. Hmm. When I said, is it finally time for us to have a conversation about pickleball? I didn't say that we were going to have a conversation with direction <laughs> about pickleball. <laughs> and so this ends the segment. <laughs> The Luxembourg Ladies Tennis Masters. That happened this past week. I wish we could have gotten it on TV. I saw maybe 30 seconds of footage floating around the internet somewhere. I tried to find it. Couldn't really find it. Of those 30 seconds, one of them was Yelena Yankovic lying on the ground, writhing in pain from potentially a horrific leg injury. Mm. Five and a half games into her match. Like, just stupidly unfortunate stuff yeah that's not supposed to be what this was about the format of the tournament was was cute there were eight players four of them were seated and i'm assuming they were seated based on their career achievements because martina hingis was the number one seed kim kleisters two yelena yankovic three and agnieszka radvanska the number four seed hingis beat kiki bertens in her match in straight sets hantukova beat Yankovic when she had to retire. Radvanska took out Yulia Gerges in straight sets. And Kim Kleisters completely wiped Manda Manello from existence. 6-3-6-1. So it was a single elimination kind of thing. Think of it like this tournament started at the quarterfinal stage. And then you just advanced mm-hmm. around until you were a champion. Semifinals, Martina Hingis beat Hantukova in straight sets. And then Kleisters beat Radvanska 10-7 in a super tiebreak to advance to the final, where she beat Martina Hingis in straight sets. It was a, a real missed opportunity to get a rematch between Ivanovic and Hantukova after Sneakergate at the Australian Open. Well, well, Anna wasn't there. She was not. But still. For her troubles, Kim Kleisters won 40,000 euro. That is not bad work for a retired player. I mean, Kim Kleisters has enough money to buy a pickleball team with Tom Brady. So. Okay, still, I'm just saying, if you are a retired tennis player, this is the type of thing that I would like to see more of. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's fun. Yeah, like, okay. I mean, you know, that's more like for y'all. I'm here to watch Kleisters, but like the rest of the players, they're not really, they're not really for me. You weren't there to see Yankovic? No. Oh. Did I ever like her? I mean, I don't dislike her. I just wasn't really well, a fan. Move, moving on then, I guess. <laughs> Nick Kyrgios has revealed himself, unsurprisingly, to be an unreserved fan of Andrew Tate. You know, I 
was hoping that we would never utter that name on the podcast. I only discovered who this person was from TikTok. I started seeing his name. I didn't know who he was. Apparently he's a kickboxer or something. But then I learned a little bit more. Um, And yeah, I guess if you're into men who advocate violence against women, then he's your guy. Gems Life and Daniil Medvedev welcomed baby girls into this world since we were last on air. Yeah, the Gems Life baby was highly anticipated, but Daniel and his wife kept this a huge secret. Even the fat, like the stands didn't even know they were pregnant. So, well, she was pregnant. Th- well, the, sure, but I don't like that. Oh, you don't like they were I don't I don't at all. I can't you know, I don't really know straight people business, but I thought that was the more inclusive way to say it. I'm sure it is. But why are we including men? <laughs> why are we including straight men? Sure, like, fine. Like what? You mean because he won't need to take a break like, after the birth? Materially, before he what has he pre-birth <laughs> and post-birth contributed to this dynamic relative well, well, I, relative to what she will, will and is expected to? Okay. All I'm right. just saying there's a disproportionate responsibility here. That's all. All right. Then that just my, that's just my perspective. I could be wrong. Exactly. Yeah. That's what this podcast is. Our unique individual mm-hmm. perspectives, which diverge sometimes. Anastasia Sevastova is also pregnant. That was news. Another surprise. Yeah. Nobody knew. I see you've written something, something about here, the MLB playoffs, which... <laughs> are you sure? This was written... <laughs> it was the first thing written on the agenda two weeks ago. And... I think it still is a little bit applicable. Okay. I was watching the Atlanta baseball team in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That still has that racist name uh-huh. and chant. Yeah. And their pitcher, Kyle Wright, was talking about how when he was struggling, being good seemed so far away. When in actuality, it really wasn't. Because he was a touted prospect and the last couple seasons... He wasn't having the results as far as the statistics showed. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, he wins 20 games this season in his first full season as a starting pitcher in the major leagues. And I think we can use that to view tennis players as well. When we think of, oh, well, this person came out of nowhere. The margins between being an okay player or having okay results and becoming a consistently good player with consistently good results, it's very small. That margin is very thin. It is. It is. So, attention, Garbine Muguruza. You're not that far off. She's ranked in the 50s now. Well, okay, maybe she's farther off than I thought. The second thing that I wrote on the agenda two weeks ago, when I thought that we needed space to fill... (laughs) was a question of what are your top three Mariah studio albums? Oh, okay. So, And why I wrote this question was because up until the last couple weeks, I did not know myself. But I'd gone through a period of discovery and rediscovery this summer, in particular, with her discography. And I've come to a conclusion for myself. Oh, okay. So I'll give mine first, and Mm -hmm. then you can do yours. So... Two of them are very easy for me. Well, can I guess? Can yes. I guess yours? Yeah, the two. Your two are Butterfly and Daydream. Yes. And your third is going to be Emancipation. 
It's a tie. Between emancipation and caution. Emotions. Emotions, okay. All right. And you? Well, did you want to say more about them? Oh, um, no. Emotions is one that I have sort of rediscovered and have learned to appreciate more and more and more. Like there's all this dance music on it. There's house on it. It's way more, um, I don't know, it's a little more daring than I remembered it was. And Emancipation speaks for itself. It's too long. It's Emancipation is too long. It needs editing, but the highs are just simply too high. What needs to be edited? Well, I'm not going to get into all that, but the highs of We Belong Together, Fly Like a Bird, Circles, like they, they're stratospheric to me. Hmm. My top three Mariah Studio albums... And I'll make the distinction in that they're not, I don't think they're her best necessarily, but they're currently my favorite. Mm -hmm. And they are Butterfly, and in no particular order, Caution, and Memoirs. Wow. I've, that album has been on the come up in my life the last year. It has Candy Bling is it a has classic. Jam upon jam upon jam. It was really well done. Do I think on a whole it's a better album than Emancipation? No. Would I listen to Emancipation right now? Not so much. I'd listen to a few songs. Mm. Okay. Fair enough. You know what? Honestly, like one of her tightest and most cleanly produced albums and some of the best vocals is Merry Christmas. Yes. It, there is, I mean, there's really like not a bad moment on Merry Christmas. And it looks like we will be going to see her in December. For some reason, she's coming to Toronto for a Christmas show. She's playing two Christmas shows this year. Just announced today, you wake up and you just see the money flying out of your bank account. <laughs> Right? Like, I've been saving up for the Renaissance tour for next year. And, yeah, pre-sale is tomorrow. Starts tomorrow. So, we'll see what happens. And it's at, uh, whatever they call it now, Scotiabank Arena, which is Mm -hmm. where the Raptors play. It's going to be a big show. And the other one, I think, is at Madison Square Garden. Oh, my. Uh, We have to end it on a bit of a sour note. There were some celebrity deaths that would, like, hit really close to home for a lot of folks. Angela Lansbury, who I feel has a a special place in so many of our hearts across generations, right? So many of our childhoods. Mm-hmm. Especially. Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which, like, my parents probably watched when they were young. Uh, of course, her theater work in Sweeney Todd. Mame. Mame. Beauty and the Beast is where many of us were first introduced to her as Mrs. Potts. Well, I was introduced to her before that with Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) That's definitely a show that, like, our generation and Gen X watched with our grandmas. (laughs) We, at the start of the pandemic, we went back and watched all of season one. There was even an episode where there was a murderous beagle. (laughs) There was literally a beagle in jail for murder. Angela Lansbury (laughs) solved the murder. And it was the beagle who inadvertently, I think, Mm -hmm. killed somebody. But it must be punished. Sorry, Vince. And ever since then, we've we've been having to keep an extra eye on Vince. (laughs) I mean, we don't keep guns lying around, so... 
Uh, but Murder, She Wrote especially uh, says so much about who she was. And I didn't know all of this. I remember seeing all of these famous actors from Hollywood's Golden Age show up as guest stars. And this story has been repeated a lot now since her passing, is that she purposely hired a lot of these actors so they could keep their SAG medical benefits. Because, as you know, as you age in Hollywood, you just don't get roles. Right. And so all these amazing, accomplished actors were just ignored. We had the great pleasure of seeing her live on stage in Blythe Spirit in Toronto seven or eight years ago. Yeah, she would have been, I think, like 88 or 89 at the time. And just the the life and the charisma that she exuded, it was incredible. Running up and down stairs, we were sitting in the balcony like, please let this not be the moment where it all ends. <laughs> like we yes. bear witness to Angela Lansbury's demise. There was a moment where she had to like slump over the back of an armchair and I'm like, is that a stunt double or what? I, I couldn't believe what we were seeing. What an incredible career. Just amazing life. And today, this was awful. Shocking. Leslie Jordan passed away today. Leslie got us through the pandemic. Really. Like his TikToks were incredible. You might know him from Will and Grace, of course, as Beverly Leslie. You may know him from Sorted Lives. Incredible. On Sorted Lives. As Brother Boy. <laughs> yes. We still have that DVD of the oh series that had Bonnie Bedelia, Beth Grant, Ruma Clanahan, and Leslie Jordan. Oh my lord. Leslie would dress up a cosplay, essentially, in drag as Tammy Wynette and put on performances of I Don't Want to Play House. I know Jessica Chastain will be playing Ms. Wynette in the biopic, but Leslie Jordan was the correct choice. I don't know how to wrap it up after all that. Yeah, I know this episode was all over the place, but we are coming into the home stretch of the WTA season. We've actually got a lot, you know, some miles to go on the ATP side. I so, was surprised. <laughs> yes. I was like, they're surprise. playing where? When? Yeah, I was like, well, the WTA finals are coming up. When are the ATP finals? I'm trying to plan, you know, year-end women's rep, year-end men's rep, and, you know the end of our season and then i look at the men's sketch and i'm like why why it's there's still in a whole masters event to go before the finals that rafa nadal is playing in we find out today from carlos yep. moya that nadal will be playing in paris the indoor masters as well as the atp finals and you may be wondering why <laughs> why because I think he cares a little bit more about the number one ranking than he lets on. I don't know if there's another reason. I think Could there he be also, another reason? he likes playing. You know, he enjoys playing. He he knows he doesn't have that long left. But I do. He always says he doesn't care about the ranking. But I think a little bit of him does. He's also always said that if he's healthy, he'll play. Yes. Yes. So maybe so the I, ab has healed... I hope that he's healthy. Yeah. Thanks for listening. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. This is The Body Serve. You can find us everywhere on the internet. If you go to our link tree at linktree.com slash the body serve for the next three and a half days, all of our TBS merchandise at Redbubble will be 30% off. 
So go take advantage of what they claim is their biggest sale of the year. I don't know. I've seen 30% a couple times already this year. So it's a bit of a misrepresentation. <laughs> but still, the savings is being passed on to you all. <laughs> all right. We will talk to you in uh, probably another week. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>